How are you doing today? All right. So um, today I get to talk to us about spending time with family. And I just want to confess to you and say at the outset that uh, I'm not an expert on family. I, I wish that I was. I have more mess-ups than my ego will allow me to talk to you about today. Uh, I am the knuckleheaded dad who one morning, trying to get kids ready for school, said to his daughter, Honey, aren't you going to brush your hair? And then she started crying into her cereal bowl because she already had brushed her hair. And uh, so don't make that mistake. Ask mom first before asking questions <laughs> like that. You know, so I'm not going to share with you and, and burn you with my opinion. I really want to help us look at what God's word and the wisdom that he's kept for us. Because I believe that if we lean into it and if we trust it, he will set our families on the right track and protect us. And I'm so excited about that. Now, there may be some of you here this morning, you're thinking to yourself, I really don't need to hear a message on family time. I just need more time. I don't need somebody to tell me what to do with my time. I just need more time to do what I already feel guilty about not doing. I get that. You know, a lot of us, we can carry this pressure to try to be everything and be everyone and be everywhere and succeed at everything along the way. I mean, how in the world are you supposed to have enough time and energy to be a taxi, to get the kids and the family everywhere, to earn enough money to have a nice home and to fund your kids' activities at church and at school and at sports teams and do fundraisers? I mean, how in the world are you supposed to have enough time to hang out with your friends and, and to have time for yourself and to do yard work and to do house maintenance and to have a clean house and to then cook food that everybody likes? How are you supposed to keep the kids busy or play with the grandkids and spend time with them? You know what I'm saying? And then do ministry at the church. I mean, where does all the time come from? And where do you get the time left over to date your spouse and then maybe do other things that God designed for spouses to do together? The, the pressure is... You guys should be the most awake crowd. The pressure is cruel and unrelenting. And sometimes in our pursuit to try to fill our time with all of these activities and be everyone to, and, and be everything, we feel like we're, like we're supposed to be a superhero, but we just aren't. I want you to check out this clip from the movie The Incredibles. Super suit? What? Where is my super suit? I, uh, put it away. Where? Why do you need to know? I need it. Uh-uh. Don't you think about running off to doing no daring do? We've been planning this dinner for two months. The public is in danger. My evening's in danger. You tell me what my suit is, woman. We are talking about the greater good. Greater good? I am your wife. I'm the greatest good you are ever gonna get. Awesome. Awesome. Maybe, like, you can feel his pain. My, my wife is always losing my super suit. But, you know, there can be times when we feel like it seems like everyone and everything is clamoring for our time and our attention. And when that happens, it can feel like time is our enemy. And there are things and there are activities and there are people who will take your time and they will fill your time and they will leave you with no worthwhile thing to show for it. 
And when you feel like you're locked in a cycle like that, it can feel like time is your enemy, but time is not your enemy. And this is the first thing that I want us to get today. We'll go ahead and write this down. Time is not your enemy, but your time has enemies. Time is not your enemy, but your time has enemies. Studies have shown that in the past 20 years, the time that we spend at work has gone up. In the past 20 years, the time that we spend alone has gone up. In the past 20 years, the time that we spend with our families has gone down. In our culture and in our community, family is losing the fight for time. So this morning, I have a question for us. Who is winning and what is losing in the fight for your time? Some time ago, my wife and I, we uh, invited a couple over and we hosted them for dinner and we had a great time. They're a young couple, young kids, and they really loved the Lord, really loved Jesus Christ. And you could tell that they wanted to honor God and teach their kiddos to do, to do the same. And, and the husband, he was just, he was like this gnarly, beastly guy. You know what I'm saying? And he gave me beard envy. He had the coolest beard. And he looked like he belonged in the movie Tombstone or some sort of really awesome Western. And he was just a manly, cool guy. And we were talking, and, and I listened to him, and, and I watched him, and, and he, was, he was crying over his desire to be a good dad. But his dad had failed him, and he didn't want to be a failure to his kids. And he regretted and was burdened by the fact that he didn't have a model to look back to and a model to look up to. And talking to him was gripping because you could see the fear and feel the fear of passing on failure to the next generation. He knew what he didn't want to be, but he didn't have a really clear roadmap of how to be what he wanted to be. And sometimes it doesn't matter what season of life your family's in, whether you've got young kids, no kids, old kids, whatever, it can feel like our families are flirting with failure. And it can feel like we're carrying the weight of guilt and regret. And sometimes it just feels like, like we're losing our collective memory of how to get our family time right. There are so many families that feel like they're on the edge. How can we get this right? Today we're going to look at Psalm 90, and Moses is the one who wrote Psalm 90 for us. And I don't know when Moses wrote Psalm 90, but when I read it, I get the sense that he wrote it towards the end of his life. And Moses is the man that God chose and God used to rescue the people of Israel when they were held captive in Egypt and to rescue them out of slavery. And along the way, God used Moses and displayed all kinds of amazing acts of his power, plagues and miracles, awesome stuff. And probably the most popular and the most famous miracle that God did was when the children of Israel, they were backed up against the sea against the Red Sea, and they had nowhere to go. And the, and the army of Egypt was chasing, and they were coming, and they just wanted to slaughter them. They wanted to kill them. And so God caused the waters of the Red Sea to part, and the people of Israel walked across on dry ground to safety. And then the army decided that they were going to chase and pursue. And when they got in the middle, God caused the waters to collapse back and destroyed the army. An amazing act of provision and protection and love for His people giving them rescue and giving them freedom. But the people of Israel wasted their freedom. They rebelled against God. Shortly after that, they began to worship false idols and they gave their time over to worthless things. And as a result, an entire generation was lost. They spent 40 years wandering around in the desert and it was the next generation 
that finally got to see God's promises fulfilled as they walked into the promised land. And as we read these words of Moses together, I want us to remember their story as a backdrop. In Psalm 90, it says this, Lord, through all generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from the beginning to end, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years, or as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They're like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, all our secret sins. You see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Welcome to Twin Cities Church. We love you. Glad you are here. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to 80. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Thinking about the story of the children of Israel and and looking at what Moses has to say, there are a few things that just jump off the page at me this morning that I want to share with you. And the first one is this, is our time is fixed and the end is final. Our time is fixed and the end is final. We live in a community where there are a lot of people who are tempted to believe in the myth of reincarnation, but it simply is not true. We get one go around. We get one life and this is it. The time is fixed and the end is final. And verse three, he says, you return people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. We get one life from God. And the resource and the gift of time that he's given us is precious. And as I continue to look at what Moses has to say, there's another thing that jumps off the page at me, and that's this. There are no secrets with God. In verse 8, it says, You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We may be crafty enough and smart enough to hide regrettable choices from our friends. We may be crafty enough and smart enough to hide regrettable choices from our family, but there is no act, there is no way that we spend our time that is secret and hidden from God. He sees it all. And not only does God see what we do, He sees into our hearts and He knows and judges our motives as well. And then the next thing that jumps out to me from reading Psalm 90 is this. We are held accountable for what we do with our time. We are held accountable for what we do with our time. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. And I know that when we just kind of, we start off here looking at this can seem heavy and it can seem scary and it can seem like it's something that we want to keep at arm's length. But I'm convinced that there is wisdom and there's freedom in these words. And if we're willing to kind of walk through for a couple of minutes what it means that God really does have wrath and judgment and holds people accountable, we'll be able to unlock those, those great words of freedom and wisdom. And there, there are at least two ways that God makes his judgment evident to all of us. And the first one is this, that God has fine-tuned the universe and all of life to work in cause and effect relationships. And God has built in, by design, 
cause and effect relationships in life where there are benefits or consequences for following or ignoring his will and his way. Let me give us, uh, let me give us an example. So men, let's say you have a daughter. Men, if you stay engaged and affectionate with your daughter through her teen years, she is far less likely to engage in early sexual and risky behavior through her teen years. That is a built-in benefit to trusting God and trusting his way. But there are also built-in consequences. Parents, if you ignore your children when they are young, they are likely to ignore you when you are old. These are cause and effect relationships that God has built in by design. They're hard to explain away. They're hard to ignore. We see these relationships. But the second way in which God makes his judgment evident and in which the way that God carries that out is a way that a lot of people have a hard time accepting. And that's when God personally responds to specific behavior that is contrary to his will and contrary to his commands. And I have dear, dear friends who have a hard time accepting this and they don't want to accept a God like that. And maybe you're one of those friends or maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know. I just, I don't think I can accept a God that's talked about like that. And sometimes my friends say it like this. When we die, that's it. I'm not afraid of death. Or I don't believe we need a savior. There may be consequences for choices in life, but not with God. And if you find yourself there, like my friends have found themselves there, it's because you have bought into at least one of two different conclusions. And the first one is this, is simply that God does not exist. But if we accept it's true that God does not exist, then that means that none of our life can have purpose, which means all of your time has no meaning. If we reject God, that means that there are no value differences in your life. If you choose to spend your life loving your family or if you choose to spend your life abusing your family because there is then no ultimate purpose and there's no ultimate morality that brings meaning to the time that you spend here on earth. That is the only option that we have left if we reject God. But It's a beautiful Sunday afternoon, and you've chosen to be here at church, so that's probably not where you're at. Some of us here may be thinking, but God is so loving. He's great. He would never judge good people like me. If you're landed there, it's probably because you've accepted one or two of these ideas, that either it's that God has no opinion and no response about what we do with the gift of time that he's given us, or you think that God has no right and no authority to respond to the gift of time that he has given us. But when we stop to really consider those ideas, and when we read his word, his word and our consciences make it clear that those ideas are not acceptable. They are not worthy of your trust. Yes, God is loving. Yes, God is good. And yes, God does have a right and an opinion and a response to how we spend the time that he has given to us. This is a weighty matter. It is a big deal. And there is a reason that throughout God's word that it tells us over and over and over again, it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. Now, when we stop to consider this and we really think about it, it's pretty normal for someone somewhere along the way at a point in this message to think, man, I wish I would have heard this a long time ago. I wish years ago that I really would have trusted and listened to this 
Because when we start to think about how we spend our time and we know that, that it's a gift from God and that God holds us accountable and nothing is secret from Him, our mind becomes flooded with memories of time misspent. And we can carry the weight of guilt and regret. I feel that. And I want to share this next truth with you with all the hope and with all the encouragement that I know how to give, and that's this. Regret focuses on what can never change, but repentance focuses on what must change. I want to flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says this, For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Yes, God is a God who hates sin. God is a God who pours out wrath on sin. But the beauty is, is that Jesus Christ went to the cross to receive God's punishment for sin in our place. And not only did he die on the cross, he rose from the dead. And if we trust him in faith, he offers us forgiveness. If we trust him in faith, he offers us new life. If we trust him in faith, he offers us a new way to live. And that is so incredibly awesome. If you have been shackled by the chains of regret and guilt, know that by trusting trusting in Jesus Christ, those chains come off and we have new life in Jesus Christ. And our time can be redeemed. I'm going to flip back to Psalm 90. As I get to verse 12, I think that it's the theme verse. I think it's the heart of the wisdom found here in this chapter. And it says this, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. And and the original Hebrew, it literally says, teach us to number our days so that we can have wisdom. So I decided I wanted to do that. I heard about this from somebody else. And so I went out and I I bought this jar and I got a bunch of beads and I counted out the, if I live from today till I'm 75 years old, I will have 2,103 weekends left. And so I counted out, painstakingly, 2,103 beads, and I put them in this jar. And you may be thinking, that doesn't really look like much. I know. (laughs) I bought the jar first, thinking I would need a big jar, but I overestimated how much it would take to actually count and capture the amount of time that I have left. Number your days. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we can have wisdom. I think this is what Moses is trying to get us to get. I want you to write this down, circle it. This is it. This is the main point. Everybody spends time, but the wise invest it. Everybody spends time, but the wise invest it. And the idea about an investment is you pay in something, and later you get something of even greater value in return. So I want to share with us just a few thoughts before we close about investing. Number one is this, investments are intentional. Investments are intentional. If you're going to invest your time with wisdom, it's going to take discipline and strategy. Many of us are going to have to learn to flex our no muscle. We're going to have to say no to things that eat away at precious time. We're going to have to say yes to the most important things before we say yes to extra things. Parents, I want to give you the freedom and the encouragement this morning It is okay to say no to good activities that your kids want to be involved in if they eat away at your time. 
If they eat away at your extra time margin, sometimes it's okay to say no to good activities. Your family needs unstructured hangout time together, and it is not going to happen by accident. It's intentional. And in addition to learning how to say no with our time, we're going to have to say, learn to say yes. And you may have to say yes to things that you don't like. Sometimes the wisest investment of our time is to say yes to things that we don't like because they're liked by the person that we love. So, men, maybe you have to hold a purse and go shopping with your wife. That's okay. Ladies, maybe that means you need to watch a ball game with your husband. Try not to ask too many questions. Parents, listen to absurd-sounding music with your kids. And every single one of us, let's spend time doing things with the generations before us because they have earned wisdom and they will give it to you for free. Invest your time intentionally. The second thing I want to say about investing is this. We invest most in what we value most. We invest most in what we value most. And you may be thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not sure that I accept that. Because, Rick, I love my family. I value my family. But there are so many things that require my time. And I just, I, they're out of my control. Well, I want to give us a word of caution. Sometimes what we say we value most and what we actually value most are different things. I just wrapped up softball season uh, for, for my little girl. And before every game, I would say to her, Honey, I want you to get out there and do your best and have a good attitude. But I found that after the game, the easiest thing to talk about was her batting average, not her good attitude. If you discover that what you say you value most is not backed up by the way you invest your time, make the hard choices. Lean into tough decisions to build boundaries for your time and invest them well into your family because no one else is going to do it for you. And the last thing I want to say about investing our time is this. Let God manage your investment. Jumping down to a verse that I haven't read, verse 17 in Psalm 90 says this, And may the Lord our God show us His approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. This is an investment that is intimately tied to and dependent upon God. We cannot do it on our own. We need His help. And the cool thing is, is He will respond to your faithful obedience even if it makes you look weird to other people. If you trust God and trust His way, there's a good chance that you're going to look a little weird to people who don't trust Him and don't trust His way, but that's okay. It is worth it because God will manage your investment and God will take your faithful obedience and He will establish success and health and goodness in your family if you trust Him. It is worth it and it is good. And so before I let you go, I want to give you a couple of action steps. Number one, I want you to do this. Get familiar with what the Bible says about family. There are not enough Sundays in the year to talk about all the stuff. The Bible has to say for grandparents and siblings and moms and dads and kids. Spend some time reading in it, soaking in it, and applying it to your life. And the second is this. Whatever season you're in, start listening to people who have done well in the season of life that you are in. Our families change rapidly. Many times they change before we're ready to change. We're just enjoying this season, and all of a sudden it's a change, and we're, our head is spinning. And this is the time of year that my phone starts ringing off the, hooks, off the hook from moms and dads who are calling me because they have, a, they have a kid who's graduating from high school or graduating from college, and they're launching out into the real adult world, and they don't know what to do. 
I do not know what season of life your family is in. There are more than I can count or even talk about this morning. But there is a theme that tends to run through a lot of the transitions that our families face, and that's this. Whenever we face a transition in our family, many times we are faced with having to exchange control for influence. We give up a little bit of control, but we have the opportunity to earn influence. Influence is always invited, and control is imposed. And if you find yourself fighting for and clinging to control in a time of transition in your family, there is a chance that you are going to lose influence. But if you invest in having influence with your family through loving and serving them, there's a chance you are, you are going to get it. And influence is a far more special and valuable thing than control. It was about 13 years ago this month that I met my father-in-law for the first time. And I don't know, have you ever been so nervous that your legs are shaking? Have you ever been so nervous that your legs shaked so violently that your butt shaked? <laughs> that was going on with me in that moment. And I remember stepping off the plane and meeting my father-in-law. And, and I just got to tell you, so many of my friends have sad and bitter relationships with their in-laws. They're just not good. I mean, there's a reason that we have mother-in-law jokes. I mean, and my, my friends, their relationships with their in-laws are just sad and tragic. But I stepped off the plane and my father-in-law said to me, I want you to know that I'm not losing a daughter. I'm gaining a son. And every day since then, he and my mother-in-law have loved me like a son, and they've invested in me, and they've become my heroes. And this is a season of life that, that's difficult to, to walk through well with wisdom. So many people get it wrong, but they somehow got it right, and they invested in me. And when my life was hit with chaos and devastating hurt, their influence and investment in me was a guiding light and an anchor. And today... If I'm able to stand here as a good man and as a man of faith who's able to love my family well, it is in no small part because of their investment in me. And I am so thankful that they were willing to lead into a difficult season of change that they did not ask for and invest well in me. So this is my encouragement to you today. In whatever season your family is in, invest well and invest with wisdom, because there is far less of this than we would like to have. Can I pray with you? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, even though sometimes it's hard to read and it feels prickly, if we trust it, we will discover great freedom and wisdom in it. God, I pray that today that families will be set free. God, that we will be drawn closer to you, and we will discover the wisdom of living each day, remembering our time is limited, and that is a gift from you. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen.